there are moments that define who you are as a person. These moments can happen in the most surprising and unexpected times in your life. I just had one of these moments. I was forced to make a decision. And um, I believe I made the right one, but how do you ever really know if you made the right decision or not? So I'm preparing for this show and I'm looking at my bar and I see High West Double Rye and Old Vine Zinfandel. And like ancients of old, I had to choose whiskey or wine. And let's be honest, they both have their benefits and, and drawbacks, but what does it say about me? What is this choice going to lead to? I think I made the right choice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. teeth is always a tell can i <laughs> that episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia where they put it in coke cans because they don't think anyone's gonna know that they're drinking wine out of a coke can oh god that's such a good episode so funny and they all are just stained <laughs> stained red teeth like what could they be possibly drinking <laughs> such a great episode Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is May 17th, and as of today, we have 4,752,426 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 313,859 deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. That's right. I had to make that age-old decision at the beginning of the show again. I still think it's the right decision. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Victor Wicked. Um, okay, so just to run down, <laughs> some of you may know where this came from, one of you. Uh, in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about satanic magic fears. I just, it came to me. <laughs> I don't know how it came to me, but it came to me, and we're going to talk about it. In The Infernal Informant, Obama says U.S. lacks leadership on virus and commencement speeches, and food prices going up, food supply chains struggling amid pandemic. And of course, in The Creature Feature, I'm going to bring you a band that I have loved since my tour in Germany in the army. It's so good, Royal Crown Review. And we're going to listen to a little bit. And I may cry a tear of happiness right there. <laughs> All right. So I woke up this morning, as I wake up every morning. And I go and 
take my medications and I go set the coffee maker to work and I let the dogs out and then I go to the coffee maker and nothing's happening. Now, this is the morning and I am a human being and so I'm not really awake. I don't really understand. So I'm like poking it and nothing's happening and I unplug it and I plug it back in and I hit the start and nothing's happening and I don't understand. And then my wife comes in and we're like two primal, uh, primeval apes poking. I remember the beginning of 2001 Space Odyssey and there's that obelisk and the, the monkeys were like hitting it with sticks. That obelisk was our coffee maker this morning and we were the monkeys jumping around, <laughs> hitting it with a stick, trying to get the stupid fucking thing to work because it's morning and we don't, we're not awake. We don't understand like tubes and clogged valves and electrical compositions we, we just need our fix man it's a drug and so she's like watching videos and like unscrewing the bottom of it and i'm like fuck this man i'm just gonna go to the store and get a new one because i can't my my mental faculty needs coffee in order to understand how to fix the coffee maker conundrum you can't do that <laughs> you cannot do one without the other and so just went to the store and got a coffee maker said fuck it got back home made coffee and it sucked because the first pot of coffee out of every coffee yeah of course you know you, you run it first before you make any coffee um and then you make your cup of coffee but it was gross it was just so unsatisfying <sighs> and then all day you're off the whole day is like a, a bust you're not quite there, there, you know what I mean? I don't know, it was rough. So, if I talked to anyone this morning, sorry if I wasn't 100%, because I'm not 100% now. Um, yeah, it was it was rough. I This has happened to us before, and it always happens this way. It's always in the morning, because that's when you need your coffee. That's when you turn on your coffee maker, and that's the one time that you cannot cope with not... Oh, yeah, and it's a pandemic, right? And so not every coffee joint is open. Or if they are open, there's a queue of people waiting to get their fix. And I'm like a junkie shaking. Like, I can't, I can't wait in line. What am I going to do? Like, I can't, I can't lower myself down to like gas station coffee. Like, I'm not an animal. I mean, I'm a chimpanzee hitting a coffee maker with a stick, but I'm not an animal. It was rough. First world problems. People in this world are like fighting for fresh water and food. And I'm complaining because my magical machine that makes coffee for me with grounds that I didn't pick the beans of, I didn't grind the beans, it's just magically there for me whenever I want it. Privileged prick that I am. <laughs> I don't know how to handle the world when it's not handed to me on a silver platter. <laughs> Some fucking Satanist. Oh, man. All right, so that was my morning coffee, coffee shenanigans. It was rough, man. Yeah, dog. See, we were starting to talk about that this morning. Like, maybe we should just stop with this coffee maker bullshit and just move on into, like, a more adult realm of, like, French press or espresso machines. But then could you imagine me trying to fix an espresso machine in the morning without espresso? No, no, 
No, no, no, no, no. All right, so uh, this weekend, I decided I'm going to teach my daughter how to fire a rifle. So I picked up a Ruger 1022, which is just your basic, really classic 22 rifle. And, the guy, and I'm like, tomorrow, today, we're going to go to the firing range, and I'm going to teach you how to fire this thing. The firing is, is closed on Sundays because Jesus, I guess. I don't know, but it's closed. So I'm like, fuck. And so I, Utah is one of those rare places where you can just drive off into the desert and the Bureau of Land Management here lets you just go crazy. You know, fire your weapons however you'd like out here. Um, and so I was like, I could do that, but I got a book club meeting at two. So if we drove out there, it's going to be a couple hours. And then we'll have to play around for a couple hours with our firearms. And then we'd come back and that would take a couple hours. And that would not leave me enough time to you know, like do the book club. And so I had to make a choice. Do I do the book club or do I go fire off some rounds? <sighs> I did the book club. Again, choices that you make in life. I don't know if I made the right one. It was a good time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love chatting with these people. They're awesome. And some of them are in the chat. Hi, chat. All right. On that note, let's talk about the chat. Behemoth, what up, man? You getting in here too early? I got a question. Behemoths, plural. Rules, plural. Is that a band that you're referencing that rules? Or do you mean behemoths, rules, as in they're awesome? Or do you mean behemoths, rules, as in they have rules, and you're the rule keeper of the behemoths. Curious minds want to know. Valeria, how you doing, hon? It's good to see you. Dog, I just saw you earlier. What up? Zachary, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining. Jerry, it's been a while. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Alex, good to see you. Kyle, what up? The Dapper Devil. You and me both, know what I mean? <laughs> just kidding. That was stupid. Hey, Mr. Victor Wicked, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Uh, Shauna, hey, baby. Hey, baby, hey. Clinton, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Mark, good to see you live. Deacon, what up? All right, people. 1022s are great. It's a great rifle, really. And like super simple, just your basic run-of-the-mill 22. And I got to tell you, I learned to fire when I was in Cub Scouts. So I was like, wee, wee little lad, Adam. I think it's essential. Everyone needs to learn how to fire a rifle. You may never need to, but it's an important skill that you should have as a human. Same with firing a, a bow and arrow. Like, you should absolutely learn archery. Again, you don't have to be fucking magnificent at it, but understanding the principles and how to properly draw a bow, I think is really important. You just want, you know, like, it's like a, a hatchet throwing. No, I don't, I'm not, a, like, putting myself in contests. I'm not a... Uh, you know, every weekend going out to throw the hatchet with my bros. But, you know, sometimes you got to sharpen a knife. You got to throw a hatchet. You got to make a fire. You know, there's, there's like life skills that you need. Firing a rifle is one of them. Um, <laughs> freedom is louder than Jesus. Not here. <laughs> Jesus is loud. Motherfucker won't shut up. There was a person, and this we've never noticed here before, but my wife texted me that there's a dude on the corner, street corner, with a bullhorn shouting out about Jesus. Coming out of the woodworks, man. They are coming out 
of the fucking woodworks. It is ridiculous. People suck. What's up, Christopher? All right. Um, so yeah, the book club's going well. I'm we're this week we're gonna be finished with this current book. And uh next week we're gonna start a new one. So I'm curious on what we're gonna start. But I'm sure it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good time. The thing about book clubs that I never noticed before, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, um, is experiencing the books through other people's eyes, them picking up on things that maybe you didn't even consider when you read it. Uh, and it broadens your understanding of the book, which is interesting and it's fun. It's a good time. So check it out. All right, let's do a little uh, Devil's Advocate. I would think, oh, hold on, I got an image for this. I'll start it up again. Give me one second. Here we go. This is old school right here. I would, oh. <laughs> I just scoot over there. Uh, I would think those who want to practice satanic magic need no excuse, need no pep talks. They should just dive in and try it out. Um, but again, there's a lot of Satanists who do not ever practice greater satanic magic. And there are a lot of Satanists who do not even consider it as a realistic thing. And then there's some who practice it, but don't think it actually does anything. And then there's some who practice it and fervently believe that it does something. And there's those who practice it, believe it does something, and are disappointed when it doesn't. But there's also those who practice it, believe it works, believe it does something, but they're afraid of what it could do. So there's a lot of fears that are boiled on into the complex psyche of the Satanist, right? We are not always a rational bunch, though you would think we would be. <laughs> no, no. Anyone, I would argue, anyone who looks at the Adams family as uh, a model uh, living situation, not completely rational. <laughs> hey, and I get it because I do too. I love it. I think it's great. That's why, why I'm so connected with the aesthetics of this religion specifically um, over just rational self-interest as a religion or egoism, for example, because I love the theatrics that comes packaged and bundled together with Satanism. Uh, but you meet some creative... Um, different types of people <laughs> in this tent you don't mean to meet them all the time you just sort of like rub elbows you look over you're like oh fuck. you know wipe it off <laughs> sometimes you're trying to rub elbows and they're the ones doing to you uh either way <laughs> fucking, uh moving off course here some of the reasons people fear satanic magic is the idea that there are potential unforeseen circumstances or consequences that arise. Uh, I know in the Satanic Bible, the doctor notes that in a destruction ritual, for example, if you are not 100%, uh, 
intentionally meaning for your ritual to destroy the person, you will then suffer those consequences. And it's a, a very strange notion that he would even bring that to play when earlier in this same volume, the Satanic Bible, he is extrapolating on the idea of how absurd white light magicians are about believing that magic will come back to the caster three times as strong as they put it out there. So then why would destruction do that? And if destruction does that, why wouldn't lust or compassion rituals do that? And then you start sort of consuming like that, that uh, eternity symbol of the snake, you're, you're the or Aurora Boros or, or Ouroboros or whatever it is. Um, you're consuming your own tail out of your own fear. Like, I want to practice this, but what if? What if I'm not 100%? Is it going to come back in me? And I would say, shut up. You're overthinking what should not be overthought. Just fucking relax. <laughs> the goal of satanic magic, greater magic, ceremonial ritual magic is to get out what is hindering you it's a psychodrama you're supposed to suspend all disbelief and fears about what could possibly happen is not the suspension of disbelief it's the clinging on to the what ifs those what ifs are the very thing you're trying to get rid of ironically it's the thing that's stopping you from getting rid of them so just take a deep breath Look in the mirror and tell yourself, you're acting like a fucking idiot. I am the one reason why I cannot shake loose these fucking chains on my back. This monkey is just like hanging on and I'm the one keeping him there, feeding him a fucking banana. Just stop. Just relax. It's just magic. Relax. There is no consequence. There are a couple principles that are really, really important when it comes to satanic greater magic. Um, and probably I would argue the most important one that could alleviate any potential concerns would be the balance factor. So it's this idea that you as an individual have a finite ability defined by yourself and your own capacities to influence external events, right? Now, the entire idea of satanic magic, if you do not know, if, if you're not aware, it is the generation of adrenal energies to direct toward a given goal to then make change in accordance with one's will that would not otherwise occur. You're literally trying to change the world. Uh, the balance factor tells you how much shift you have. And the only way you know that is by knowing yourself. If you don't know yourself, then you'll never understand it. There's another principle in line here. And so, let me finish this thought really quick. With the balance factor in mind, you will never cause catastrophic events to happen if you are not capable yourself of making change in your own life. Do you understand that? You're going into the ritual chamber because you are unable to get past something, X, we'll say. And yet your fears are that if you open up that door, you step into that chamber, and you demand that X changes, that somehow the gates of hell are going to open. And it's not just X that's going to change, it's Y and Z as well. 
the balance factor says that no, at best, you may see X. At best. And that's it. What's more important is your understanding, what you, as the warlock or witch, get out of the experience, not what happens outside of that chamber. And so whether or not the balance factor works out in your favor and you see results, your will done to the world, is irrelevant. The point is that you get through that hurdle. So if anyone ever tells you, hey, uh, remember that story in The Secret Life of a Satanist where the doctor put a curse on Jane Mansfield's manager because he was trying to keep her away from him and he cursed him and it ended up killing her. Well, I don't want that to happen in my life. Simmer down. <laughs> Calm down. It's okay. Um, one, you're not the doctor. <laughs> Two, it's an anecdotal story that you are saying he killed her by proxy. He posited the possibility, but that doesn't mean that it was him. It means it was an accident. And accidents always happen. This is the cosmic universe. They don't give a fuck about you. If you're in a car and that car gets into an accident, it's called collateral damage. So, if you don't want to destroy something that is close to something else, maybe you don't destroy that thing. Maybe you go on a different angle. Maybe you go on a compassion, or you go for a lust angle, or you direct your energy into a professional destruction rather than a lifestyle, or a life itself destruction. There are different ways that you could approach your total absolute goal. Um, collateral damage is not always a case, and I would argue it is more likely than not never a fucking case. Um, so what, what are the potential collateral damages of a lust ritual? They become obsessed with you. They suddenly realize that they love you too much, and it turns into like a... Um, um, oh <laughs> I can't believe I can't think of the name of that movie. Um, well, they become obsessive so much that they want you to themselves and they end up hurting you or, or trapping you or confining you. Um, don't worry about it. It's probably not going to happen. More importantly, the balance factor says that it won't happen. If you need a principle to fall back on to help you rationalize the experience, use that. Um, so really what we're talking about is blowback in these cases. So for a compassion ritual, what, what are the potential consequences? Well, the individual finds out that you conducted a ritual and they didn't want you to. They didn't want your help and they don't want to believe it. Or they're actively upset because they didn't want a satanic blessing, compassion rite done on their behalf. That could be a potential blowback. In that particular case, don't fucking tell them. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Or respect their wishes. And don't do it at all. Or ask them ahead of time. How do you feel about this? There are ways to mitigate potential blowback, right? Now, if you're in a third world country, there could be real consequences, like you get your ass hung or murdered by the state, which has happened for people who supposedly practice witchcraft, whether it's true or not that you did it. If people believe, they will act accordingly. So all the more reason to keep your hat pulled down and 
keep your secrets in your, your chest, breast pocket, and, and don't say a damn word. Let events unfold without saying anything. And again, here's the other part of it. You don't have to lead with Satan. You know what I mean? Like, it's called talking the Baphomet in a lot of circles, where you just, self-preservation is the highest law, right? You just don't tell people that you're a Satanist. So they don't know that you're practicing satanic magic. So they don't know when what happens happens, whether it's your will or theirs. It doesn't matter. Just don't say anything. Just do your thing, keep quiet, and move about your life, knowing that your will is done. Um, and then ultimately, I want to impress upon people why you go into the chamber in the first place. And I mentioned that earlier, but I'm going to double back on it. The reason greater satanic magic is there is to help you, as the individual Satanist, work through problems that you would not otherwise, hang-ups that you have in your life, that you would not otherwise be able to work through. It's harnessing the power of ritual and essential human experience to help your psychology work through issues that are normally outside of your control. So whether you need to get rid of someone or whether you need that extra boost in confidence or whether you need to draw the eyes of that person that you really goddamn love and does or just lust for and doesn't seem to notice you. That's what they're for. You put extra added pressure and anxiety on it and it's the exact same problem some guys have going into sexual encounters and not being able to get it up. You're focusing too much on not being able to get it up. Stop. Just relax. Go in, have the emotional experience, let it happen, and that's it. Don't think about it again. Be done with it. Get it all out in that moment. That is the point. That's what that ritual is there for. And then you follow it up with some well-honed lesser magic, and you will see your will be done. Your is-to-be will be or keep working. You know, there's that um, saying uh, that uh, that platitude the doctor um, had his little twist on, if you don't succeed, try, try again. And he says, if you don't first succeed, try, try again. If you still don't succeed, try someone or something new. Sometimes you have to try someone or something new. It can be healthy. I know we as individuals obsess about that one thing, that one person, that one experience. But sometimes, though it is very difficult, you have to move on and you have to explore other options because you can drive yourself crazy or worse if you're just focused on that one person or that one experience. And there's no reason for it. Give yourself a mental vacation from it. If that doesn't work, perform a ritual. And if that doesn't work, seek some outside help. All right. Um, fatal Attraction. Thank you guys so much in the chat room. Oh my gosh, I was struggling with that. <clears throat> Best powder by Archie. Oh, you guys are talking about that. Let's see. Yeah, if you want to change your world, you have to be willing to let go. Absolutely. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, you always looked at the story differently and felt accidental. Ripping her pick was more foreshadowing than a cause. Nice. Basic instinct. Yep, that's the other one. 
Uh, the craft is great. Yeah. Yeah, please don't look at, especially like Wicca-based or pagan-based rituals as some form of satanic expression because it's not. They are different. They have completely different approaches, completely different principles associated with them. And the craft isn't real. It's just not real. Hopefully that's why you're a Satanist and not a pagan. Uh, let's see. You got a stalker, Clinton. All right. That's not a good thing. <laughs> All right. So I hope that helps, guys. Uh, I, the, I think the most important thing to remember is that it's a tool to help you. It's not a firearm that is going to alter reality every time. All right. So use it for yourself. And if external forces end up changing, awesome. That's great. But focus on you first. And if you don't believe in any of it, not the first. <laughs> All right. Let's go to a little bit of Infernal Informant. Let's throw this up. Damn, he is looking old. <laughs> this is uh, former President Obama. He says, U.S. lacks leadership on virus in commencement speeches. This is from the New York Times. The virus has torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing, the former president said. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Former, Barack, uh, former President Barack Obama delivered two vir uh, virtual commencement addresses on Saturday, urging millions of high school and college graduates to fearlessly carve a path and to seize the initiative at a time when he says the nation leaders have fumbled their response to the coronavirus pandemic. Combining uh, the inspirational advice given to graduates to build community, do what's right, be a leader, with pointed criticism on the handling of an outbreak that has killed more than 87,000 Americans and crippled much of our economy. Mr. Obama did not mention President Trump by name. Some saw his comments as criticism of his successor. President Trump's unprecedented coronavirus response has saved lives, Kaylee McEnany. McEnany? McEnany. The White House press secretary said in a statement that cited the administration's travel restrictions, small business loan program, and used the private sector to fill the stockpile left depleted by his predecessor. Mr. Obama said the pandemic was a wake-up call for young adults, showing them the importance of good leadership and that the old ways of doing things just don't work. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. He said during a primetime special for high school seniors, unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that that way, which is why things are so screwed up. I hope that instead you decide to ground yourselves in values that last, like honesty, hard work, responsibility, fairness, generosity, respect for others. If the world's going to get better, it's going to be up to you, he says. If we're going to create a world where everybody has the opportunity to find a job and afford college, if we're going to save the environment and defeat future pandemics, then we're going to have to do it together, he said. So be alive to one another's struggles. Whether you realize it or not, you've got more roadmaps 
more road models, role models, and more resources than the civil rights generation did, he said. You've got more tools, technology, and talents than my generation did. No generation has been better positioned to be warriors for justice and remake the world. I like the idea behind what he's saying here. Um, and certainly the, the, uh, the concept of this pandemic being handled extremely poorly by this administration is absolutely true from the beginning. They've been doing nothing but trying to tamp down the severity or the consequences rather than dealing with it like adults are supposed to do. And I like the idea that we should not look to how things have done, have worked in the past, but think of creative new ways of realizing goals in the future. I think that's great too. I'll question all things. If if something has always been the way it's always been, but we still have problems, then we should probably consider changing it. So whether that's the construct of your government, whether that's your government officials that have been there for 60 fucking years, whether it's um, the way that government works or your participation or lack thereof in that government, always question whether or not it's right or wrong. Don't ever choose a team because the second you do that you drop the minutia and that's no longer important you get yourself behind an idea and you allow that team to completely push you in a strange crazy direction that is never going to benefit you it's counterproductive um that being said I, I'm not a huge fan. I, I was really excited when Obama first came into office because there was this promise of change that he was really spouting off at. But when he was in a position to actually make that, he instead tried to work with the other side of the aisle. And that's something that you cannot do because the other side of the aisle, Republicans in this particular case, they get strength from their base by refusing to work with you. Even if it's against themselves and against their base. They don't care and their base doesn't care. They just want to say, I'm strong, I have the courage of my convictions, and I don't give in to liberal elites. Yeah, they're cutting their nose off to spite their face, but that's how they roll. And so, they're not going to fucking work with you. So why try? He should have just strong-armed. Single-payer health care. And then we could have easily had universal health care by now. He ramped up foreign interventionism. He ramped up drone strikes. Knowingly murdering tens of thousands of civilians. Knowing and still approving the increase in drone strikes. Um, he was not a great president. Now, we cannot set the bar in comparison because what he's compared to, his predecessor, was a fucking nightmare. And the guy who followed him is even worse in some respects anyway. Um, so it's, it's hard to compare when you're referring to presidents because you're going from uh, good intentions to no intentions and self-interest. Who gives a fuck about the country? I want 
my buddies want. I want them to do favors for me, so I'm going to do this. Like, you can't really compare the two. But he's absolutely spot on about his commentary. The idea of emboldening, which is the point of this article, and empowering the next generations, I think is really important, especially in the time we're in right now. Um, because what you don't want to do is tell them, hey, this is how it's always been. My generation, Generation X, this is what they did. This is how it's always been. You can't change anything. Why even participate? That was my generation. So they didn't do anything. They didn't try to do anything. Gen X is the most stagnant, worthless generation of all time. Then the millennium generation, the millennials, uh, Gen Y, the ones that followed, were like, whoa, 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 this is a fucked up situation. Why is no one doing anything? The baby boomers are completely tanking the world and no one seems to be doing anything about it. And so they're standing up and then everyone's like, ah, shut up, you self-entitled prick. I said this myself. Now Gen Z, they're looking at both of these, the do-nothings and the whining generation, and they're like, maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should change it through action. Instead of just complaining, we should just get out and actually do something about it. And I think that's a promising idea. Now, whether or not it's going to bear fruit, like the previous segment, is not as important. The results of action should only be focused on after you have made action. So if you're told that, yeah, through your action, you have the pot potential to remake a society into a better society, you're more inclined to try. If you're told you can't, then you probably won't. So I like that idea. I think it's great. And speak honesty to the administration, whether or not you're favorable toward them, I think is really important. The idea of honesty is really important, specifically honesty to yourself. Whether or not you're honest with other people depends on whether or not it's going to benefit you as a Satanist, as I see it. Um, but yeah, hard work, fuck yes. That is an essential idea that was taught to me. I don't believe it was taught to the millennial generation. Um, Again, economically, you can argue they did do the hard work and then there's nothing to pay off for it because my generation fucked them. Baby boomers, the generation that preceded me, fucked them. But hard work has kind of fallen by the wayside. And I see it in the generation that is coming into my industry and my son's generation going into their industries. It's just not there. There's an entitlement that is dangerous. You cannot have an overblown ego without something to back it up and expect the rest of the world to go along with your preconceived notions. So hard work, instill that. Incredibly important. Responsibility. We're saying this. We know. We know. Uh, fairness. The optics of fairness are very important. The reality of fairness doesn't exist. But the optics, let's get behind that. Generosity, the optics <laughs> can benefit you. Um, for example, I will pay for someone's groceries in front of me if it makes me feel good. But I'm not going to do it if it's expected, right? It's all about me. <laughs> but then I'm a Satanist. That's how I roll. Um, so, yeah, I like the idea of the world being better but again, we cannot be forgetful of past orthodoxies. There is a base of reality in human 
the human animal um, and in tribal cultures and no matter the size of that tribe the same rules apply and so understanding what those rules are and understanding where you fit into that tribe and how you can manipulate it from the inside is a really important lesson to learn no matter what tribe you're associating with so uh yes behemoth you're absolutely right most of them are total fucking jokes um yeah and and here's something i want to impress here i i i believe in the individual over any other label right so whether your gender your sexual preference um your sense of identity your sense of self um the individual is more important than a group that you're going to associate with and that follows through with nations with other religions and with generations so you can't just whitewash an entire generation as x or y when the truth is is it's filled with individuals and you have to treat them as individuals you can get some broad understandings of the tribe and the tribal behaviors if you understand the zeitgeists that they were formulated in that they you know cut their teeth on as it were politically but again individuals always but yeah if i was going to give a commencement speech hard work responsibility understanding the atmosphere the, the cultural climate that you're going into is incredibly important more important potentially than ability because then you can game the system but again i'm gonna say this all right um this next article here let me change this really quick so i've been talking about this for a couple of weeks um food prices are going up food supply chain struggling amid pandemic this is from wfmz in um oh geez where is it i think it's pennsylvania but i could be wrong the last two months with the restaurants closing and everything else like that it kind of you know more people had to come out shopping because they were cooking at home said gus elias the manager of elias food market and Tilligman Street in Allentown. Quote, you do business a certain way for 30 years, one way, and then in one night, you have to kind of do a whole 180. And he's speaking to the idea that because so many other um, food service industries are closed, people are buying more produce or and just more food in general because obviously either they're stocking up or they're cooking from home, which is not what most Americans do in the first place to their detriment, but still. U.S. food prices rose 2.6% in April, the largest increase since 1974, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's a classic supply and demand problem. Uh, Elias says we keep our prices as low as possible. When it comes to the meat section, the prices have just skyrocketed. One day, the price was doubling and tripling. And this is in response, of course, to a pandemic. If you don't have people working to process the food, to ship the food, to unpack the food, to package the food, then you don't have the food. And so shortage plus increased demand equals the economy flooding prices. Um, not only have some meat processing plants been shuttered from coronavirus, but produce farmers are having difficulty getting their crops from the farm to the shelves. Uh, anecdotally, I heard a story about um, uh, produce farmers just 
murdering their chickens and burning them because they couldn't find anyone to take them. Uh, same with milk. Like they were just pouring out milk. There's tons and tons of milk. In Germany, they were giving, uh, breweries were giving away beer because no one would buy it. They couldn't ship it to the stores. Um, it, it's a genuine problem. And so the irony is, is that the food exists, but the structure doesn't when you shut everything down. That's just the reality of it. Uh, egg prices are up 16%. Soda, 4.5%. Meat, 5%. It's starting to relax a little, but there's still going to be a lag now because, you know, a lot of overseas are not shipping, Elias says. Um, and so we've been talking about this from the beginning of this pandemic in all of these shows about there will ultimately be shortages. And you saw it initially because people were freaking out and overbuying. I believe that is, for the most part, at least regionally here, that has curtailed itself. But now you're seeing shortages just because there's no one to bring the food to us. So you have to start asking yourselves, how else can I get this food? Um, so I'm fortunate in that my father-in-law owns a ranch and he raises cattle. And so we can always have beef. Um, and maybe that's something that other people should start considering going direct to butchers or direct to farmers rather than growing through grocery stores. Um, you can get great deals if you're going directly to produce farmers or meat farmers, like ranchers, like, like honestly, you're going to get a better deal. You know where the product has come from, and then you take it to your local butcher, have them cut it up, have them package it for you. You're keeping your local businesses alive you're getting local produce and it's a net win all around. And if you have to pay a couple of bucks, well, you were gonna have to do that anyway if you went to the rest or the, to the grocery store right now. To add insult to injury, right before this pandemic hit, my state was pushing a food increase, a tax increase on all food because Utah is controlled by ignorant Republicans who don't understand, or maybe they do, and that's the insidious side of it, that Raising taxes on food hurts poor people more because they can't afford that. So you're taking the possibility of good, healthy food away from them because they can't afford to buy it. And you're forcing them to go to cheap food, which is fast food, because that's all they can afford, which then adds on health costs nationally for diseases, for heart disease, which is a major killer in our country. It's a major fucking problem. One of like the top three causes of death in our country is heart disease. Um, so you, you've got to consider it. And yeah, there's the problem of mega farms, um, but there are all, okay, I would, let me say it this way. Here regionally, there are local farmers that you can go to. Um, I would like to think, even though it's ignorant for me to say that, um, that that's the case everywhere because it's not. But my point in this article is that you should consider alternate ways to get the food that you know is going to benefit you and not hurt you. Um, and so start thinking outside of the box. Sometimes there are community farmers that will allow you to pitch in a percentage with the rest of, you know, however many sharecroppers or, you know, want to pitch in their money. And then they take their harvest and distribute it amount amongst everyone that contributed to it. So that's one way. 
um, maybe consider going in with a bunch of your friends or a bunch of other citizens and uh, buying animals so that you can then have them butchered and then distribute the meat amongst you, you know? So think of different ways that you can get the food you need if it becomes a cost problem and it will inevitably become a cost problem. Now, personally, you know, overseas in China, we're seeing this huge resurgent second wave of uh, coronavirus infections and deaths. It is logical to assume that if it's happening there, it's probably going to happen here too, because we're doing exactly what they did, opening up a little bit too early, probably, but then intermingling with each other and not taking proper precautions or just the reality of the virus itself, uh, we're going to have a second wave. If that second wave lasts long, then we are going to have real food shortages. If not, then it's probably not going to be that bad for that many months. But this is when you should be thinking about it, not when it's already hit, not when you can't get any produce, not when you can't get any meat. Start thinking about solutions now so that when shit hits the fan and people are struggling, at least you're taken care of. Look ahead, look to the future, plan. That's what adults do, right? Um, anyway, and yeah, and, and if you have space in your apartment, in your home, in your yard, garden. Because, let's be honest, if people can grow weed underground, <laughs> you can grow tomatoes in your house. And it's probably not that expensive to get the whole setup. So, you know, just consider, consider doing it yourself. Um, okay, and that's, that's it for this. That's all I really wanted to talk about. Wow. We're already 50 minutes in. Let's do a little creature feature, people. I love these guys. I love these guys. So I first um, discovered Royal Crown Review unknowingly from the movie The Mask. It spurred this revival in swing. Um, and you had Cherry Pop and Daddies. You had Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Um, you had uh, uh, Ingrid Lucia and the Flying Neutrinos. You just had all these bands coming out. Um, uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers. To uh, bring back this really wonderful music of swing and jazz. And I was behind it 110%. I mean, I always loved rockabilly because Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, you know, Reverend Horton Heat. Um, but uh, yeah, Brian Setzer, uh, the Stray Cats. Um, I always loved that. But swing gives just a little bit more energy, a little bit more life, right? So I'm going to play this just for a second and uh, give you a little taste of a little crown uh, review. One thing you notice immediately about the crown review is that they're a little more light, a little hot. Hey, hey. So a 4-3, hey. 
They define it as a hard, boiled, swing sound. Okay, so Royal Crown Review was a band formed in 1989 in Los Angeles, California. They were credited with restarting the swing revival movement. It was founded by Mark Stern, Eddie Nichols, and Mondo Durami out of their love of rock village called Jazz and Blues. You have Eddie Nichols on vocals, Jennifer Mando Durame is tenor sax, Daniel Glass is drums, Mark Callie is guitar, Jim Jidekin and Ron Zuibra is baritone and alto sax, Dave Miller, Vico Lepisto is bass, Mark Pender, Lee Thornburg. Yeah, Glenn Miller is like a um, spritzer water compared to a glass of whiskey. I love this. Great. But this is that like. Demonetized. Okay, so uh, again, their music appeared in The Mask, uh, which is what started their real national fame and reignited the movement from 96 to 898 they were engaged in a lawsuit with the amazing royal crowns which is the punk rockabilly band they ended up winning that lawsuit and uh, the amazing royal crowns ended up changing their <laughs> band name they were also uh i don't know if you guys know royal crown cola well they went into a lawsuit with them and they ended up winning they have uh, like six albums. Muggsy's Move, Nicotender are my two favorite albums. It is just so goddamn good. And it goes from, you're going to see this in every single swing band, is that they're going to create their own music, but then they're going to fall back on some standards that are just butter to your ears. You know, Glenn Miller, you're going to hear some of those big band and swing tunes reinterpreted through modern era and so you get you know these wonderful old songs like salt peanuts that uh hold on i'm looking for it so i can play it really quick uh, or stormy weather here's a good one this is from the contender i don't know why there's no sun up in that sky it's stormy so, American standards, or national world standards of jazz, every jazz singer, every blues artist, takes it, twists it up a little bit, and gives it their own vibe. And so you get a, you get your, your, your old favorite tunes, just reimagine something new. And so if you get up-tempo, your heart racing, get you moving, get you out of your chair, or Sit back with a glass of whiskey and a cigar and just chill and watch the birds fly. Wow. I keep praying it all, all the time. I haven't had colon in like years upon years upon years. Um, yeah, so um, I just wanted to share this band with you guys because it's one that's really close to my heart. I first discovered them when I was in Germany. So, um, Again, you know, I, I saw the mask and I thought it was great. That was at the height 
of um, Jim Carrey's fame. Uh, but I was stationed in Germany in um, the U.S. Army in 98, and we were just sort of walking around. I think we were in downtown Mannheim at this particular moment um, and went into a music store. And I'm a sucker for music. I, music stores, I grew up with record stores. Like that, you know, you go in, whether it's records or, or cassettes, like tape cassettes, that's what my generation was. And so like CDs were out, but that was like, they were way expensive. No one got CDs. Plus with tapes, you could record radio programs, wait for your favorite song to come on and then hit record so you can finally get, you know, all of your favorite music on one tape, you make mixtapes, give them to your the people that you think are cute or whatever. You're like, hey, this is a mixtape I made for you. And just show your love for them. Do mixtapes exist still? I know there was a, the, people tried to do mixtapes with CDs and I don't know if it really lasted. It was not, it wasn't as culturally profound as the mixtape was, but you would make mixtapes, you know, they're playlists now, but you'd make mixtapes for, um, exercising or for, you know, running or, you know, whatever. But it was just, you could reuse tapes over and over again. And I don't know, it was great. Good times. Sorry, I'm dating myself here. Um, anyway, this is, you know, this genre of music I think is often overlooked because when people think of jazz, you know, quite frankly, if they're not thinking of like Miles Davis or, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, they're thinking of the American standards, you know, from the Rat Pack. But swing is jazz but it's got an added element of life to it, which I think is great. And of course, then you're gonna, I was talking about this yesterday on like just a, a daily vlog, um, how exploring music leads you down different musical paths. So for me, this led me down the path of ska because I started with jazz, moved to swing, then moved to ska and then got heavy into punk and hardcore and then went back full circle to rockabilly and rock and roll and always keeping a background of blues um, just as, you know, a special place in my heart. But anyway, that, that's what this band did. I, we went into a, a, a record store in Germany and I saw the cover. I was like, Rule Crown Review. And it was just this really kind of tough, I think it was the Contender cover, which is a boxer basically like squaring off in front of you. And uh, I was like, we, we got to get this. Like we already had like tons of Brian Setzer's orchestra CDs and stuff and, you know, Cherry Pop and Daddies and everything. But, and we were huge with the Flying Neutrinos, but uh, we had never had Real Crown Review before. And then as soon as I turned it on, it is the album I always go back to. If I'm going to start a new playlist on Swing, I start with Royal Crown Review. Always. Some people do Big Bad, Voodoo Daddies, don't fault you for it. But these guys... I think are better. They're not as popular, but I think they're better. Anyway, I mean, like Swingers, the film, it was inspired by Royal Crown Review. <laughs> Ironically, Big Band Voodoo Daddy was the one that performed in it, but still, and that's a great show. Swingers was great. It's fucking money and you don't even know it. All right, everyone. Sky is a fucking rabbit hole, dude. <laughs> Straight up. Um, thank you all so much for joining me on another, like, sweat that's why I'm like unbuttoned this top button because I'm dying right now. It is so hot in my house. And we could have turned on the AC, but the wind is blowing. So when I have all the windows open and the shades open, then we got a nice cross breeze going. But I'm doing this show. I got to close all the windows so I get this special lighting that I do. And it means I'm just sitting here in a sauna, sweating my balls off for you. 
I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> My balls don't. Um, all right, that's enough ball talk. Thank you guys so much for joining me. If you, of course, like this show or other shows that I do on this channel, consider subscribing to the YouTube channel. You can always sign up to the email list. I'm going to shoot you an email whenever we're going to do another show, and you're going to figure out who I'm talking to and what we're going to be talking about. And, uh, you know, it's fun. You get an email from me probably more often than you like. <laughs> but, you know, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. It's okay, too. Um, like and share the video if you want to. If you want to learn more about Satanism, the Church of Satan is your go-to, all right? Churchofsatan.com. Pick up the Satanic Bible. Read it. Don't just listen to it. Some fucking idiot reads the Satanic Bible, and you're just like, oh, that's what I need. No, no, no. Those idiots who read the Satanic Bible, that, that you, that you need more than that. You've got to read it yourself. Get your own interior voice. Don't listen to those fuckers that read it. <laughs> like me. Um, seriously, it's a great volume that you go back to, and you get m better understanding through time. So, Satanic Bible, Satanic Scriptures, do yourselves a favor, educate yourselves. And that's going to do it for this show, for this week. I hope you guys had a fantastic one. And the week to come, move through it with intention, people. Hail Satan.